Greetings, greetings, one and all. For those who are worshiping on the telephone, uh, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we get to spend some time together in God's Word. In fact, today we are wrapping up a sermon series. We've been talking about worship for the last four weeks, and today we're uh, going to spend some time digging into our final topic of, of worship. We've been talking about what it is. We've been talking about why it is. We've been talking about how we can and today, we're going to be talking about the power of. Worship is powerful, and we need to understand how and why, because it impacts our lives. It impacts the things we choose and the things that we do. Now, when uh, initially we were going to dig into the power of worship, uh, I, I was pretty excited because what that meant to me at first was, Oh, we can talk about how, like, when we worship, God's power is, like, unleashed on the world. Um, I was going to talk about the, the falling walls of Jericho and how when God's people circled that town, uh, they shouted. Like, on that last day, the last thing they did was they shouted, and that was a shout of worship to the Lord. Um, and the walls came a-tumbling down. That's what I was going to preach on, and I was pretty excited about it. And so um, I started digging in. I started doing my research. And as I was looking into worship and what worship means and how it is powerful, something else started coming to light. And I realized pretty quickly that it was that something else that we really needed to focus in on today. I mean, it was going to be fun to preach about unleashing the power of God. But, well, this is vital in understanding worship's power in our lives. Now, uh, before we go any further, uh, I would like to just make sure that we have our, uh, that we have our memories like set. Like we, we remember where we started in this series. We talked about worship. We talked about what it is. And we can't, we can't not know this. Like this is an important aspect of understanding the power of, of worship. And so I want to just recap a little bit on what worship is, what we've learned. Uh, four weeks ago, Pastor Trent preached on it. He preached out of Romans 12. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but, and he, he told you this, so I don't know if you remember this, but there are many, many different biblical words for worship, and they all have different connotations. But no matter what, you, what word you want to use for worship, whether it's in the Hebrew, whether it's in the Greek, no matter which one of the words really triggers for you or which version of worship you're doing, one thing is consistent and true across all of the, all of the platforms. Worship is a verb. It is an activity. It is something we do. That's important. And as Pastor Trent was talking about, as he's outlining the what is worship, uh, what he said is, is basically uh, worship is uh, telling God who he has told us he is, right? So God reveals himself to us, and we reflect back to him what he has told us about himself, so worship, honestly, like the essence of worship really is just reflection. If you are reflecting God back to God, you are wholly worshiping. It is, it, it, it's as simple as that. It's like we, we get to, we're, we're just big mirrors, right? Pointing God back at God, and this is holy worship. True godly worship is a reflection of God's truth back to him. Now, not our truth about God, not our preferences about God, not what we would like to be true about God, this isn't a customizable thing that we can kind of uh, a preference. This isn't about worship style or, or different types of music. This isn't the difference between cowboy boots and loafers. 
This is God says true things about himself, and we reflect that back to him. And it's more than just the music. It's more than just what happens on Sunday morning. It's more than just whether or not you get on your knees or you get on your face or you raise your hands or you don't raise your hands. It doesn't, that, none of that. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about everything, everything. It's more than just those things. Everything we are, everything that we do, everything that is what it means to be human is about reflecting God back to God. And that happens whether it's in music, whether it's in uh, the words we use, whether it's in the actions we take or our plans that we make or our passions that, that stir within us. As Pastor Trent was preaching four weeks ago out of Romans 12, Romans articulated many different things that are worship. Things like prophesying, things like serving, and teaching and encouraging and giving or leading or showing mercy. Everything that we do every day, every moment of every day is worship to the Lord. Holy worship. It's meant to be that. as we try our best to echo back to God what God has revealed about himself. Now, since this is an automatic human thing, since reflecting is this automatic human thing, we can't help but do it all the time, and because we live in a fallen world, guess what we start reflecting when we point these mirrors in bad directions? Bad things. We are living reflectors, right? It says in, in Genesis 1, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the, in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the, all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We are image bearers. We are, it's a fancy way of saying reflecting. And that means that it is inherent in who we are. Because it is inherent in who we are, we do it every day, we do it all the time, we can't help it. If we're reflecting God, we're doing holy worship, if we're reflecting anything else, not good. We will worship every moment of every day. It is part of our creation, it is part of how we're made, it is what it means to be human. We're image bearers, we're reflectors. We're mirrors. That's what worship is. Now, here's the beautiful thing, because God has given us free will. We get to choose. We get to choose every moment of every day what it is that we want to reflect, what it is that we want to worship. We get to choose whether or not it's carnal. We get to choose whether or not it's materialistic. We get to choose whether or not it's holy. Every single moment of every day. We get to choose what we're pointing our mirror at. Now this, all of this leads us to this vital power of worship that we need to talk about. See, worship is powerful because it's always happening in your life. Always, every single moment of every single day, you are worshiping something, someone. It's just happening. And anything that you're doing all the time is going to shape how you think. It's going to shape what you believe. It's going to shape who you are. It's going to shape how you feel. It's going to shape what you know is true at the core, in your guts, right? 
If you're doing something all the time, it's kind of who you are. For instance, uh, it doesn't matter how much we say we believe that the Bible is a beautiful thing or how much we say that the Bible should be authoritative in our lives. If, if we rarely or never open it and read it, we're not going to be shaped by it. If I say that, uh, that I'm a motorcycle rider, but it only sits in my garage, am I? What we do every single day, day in and day out, this is the defin- this what's define our perception of reality. What we choose to worship will define our perception of reality. And this is the power of worship. What we point our mirrors at is what we end up looking like. Now, with all of that set up, I want us to listen to what God has to say about the power of worship. Um, the passage that I, I chose for today is out of, out of Hebrews uh, chapter 12, and it is literally about worship. Um, we know it is about worship because of how it begins, how it opens up. Um, coming to the mountain is a biblical phrase uh, that is used. Mountains are used often in the Bible uh, to, uh, to indicate coming into God's presence or to draw close to him or to receive from him his provision, his direction, his purpose, his truth. That's what coming to the mountain means biblically is to draw near to God, which is what holy worship is supposed to be. And I want you to listen to this picture painted. Uh, it's a little, it can be a little bit of a confusing passage, but really it's just a compare and contrast. Um, the, the author of Hebrews is comparing and contrasting what used to be true for the Israelites in their worship, the old way, versus what is true now, the new way of what it means to be in the presence to worship God. This is a compare and contrast reality. There's something new happening. Let the old go. And this is, this is how God says it to us here. This is our lesson for today out of 12 verse, Hebrews 12, starting verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words to those who heard it. And they begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. See the picture painted here. He's, he's talking about kind of this old way of understanding. So the old Israelite coming to Mount Sinai, the place where God descended upon a mountain and Moses ascended and the place shook and the mountaintop burned and, and God moved and he spoke and it was, oh, it almost fell over there for a second. Whew. And people were afraid to touch it. And all of the experience that they were having was one of, of trepidation, this old covenant reality, right? The old marked with fear, what could be seen, what could be touched, marked by the law. 
He's talking to his Jewish Christians about, God, about the God that they were reflecting, about the God that they were worshiping, and what had changed through Christ. No longer Mount Sinai, he says to them. Not, no longer is worship, no longer should your faith be marked by, 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 by the things of old, by this oppressive law that weighs you down. It's supposed to set you free, but here it is. It's this burden, and we've given you what God has given you away. He's given you Jesus Christ to set you free from this. No longer are you bound by this. The old has gone. The new has come. And he paints a different picture Starting verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. See, now, if, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And then we'll just jump to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. There is a new worship. There is a new covenant. There is something new available for you, he is telling the people here. We are made to be directed to the dwelling of the living God. We now have access to Mount Zion. Let the old ways of worship go. Let go of the old. We're, we're, we're set free from that. You now have a place that functions on, on God's terms alone where everything and everyone conforms to what he says is true. It's a place alive with angels and saints all consumed with proclaiming the glory of the one where the blood spilled is his blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel which is a fancy Bible way of saying that he and his gospel are the only thing that heals the world. We worship the one who speaks whose voice shakes the heavens and the earth. This is the place of he who lives. So compare and contrast. There was an old way, and now there is a new. We are also, not many of us have a Jewish heritage, right? We also have an old heritage. Listen to, listen to what uh, Psalm 115 says about what was once true of us. Our idols were silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths because we carved them into them, but they cannot speak. Eyes but cannot see. Ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. He's talking about the idols that used to be a part of our lives. Should be. Used to be. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. This is the old way. 
This is the old way for all of us. Before freedom in Christ, before we knew, before, before he set us free by his shed blood, by the blood of the lamb, we have a new covenant. We are made into new creatures. And, and those old items of worship, those old methods of, uh, of, of clinging to what was created, the things that we had to speak for because they have no mouths, We also come to a new mountain. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. It's time to let go of the old. It's time to turn this image bearer, this reflector, these mirrors. It's time to turn these mirrors away from the things of creation and gaze upon the face of God. This idolatry which was a part of our lives, we are called out of, called into a holy adoration of the one true king as we are redeemed by Christ alone. Now we worship the one who speaks. We don't have to, we had to speak for the idols. We don't have to speak for him. He speaks for himself. And we get to reflect him. We get to worship him, just him. We get to have our whole reality defined by him. This is the place of he who lives. This is the place of he who lives. This is the place of he who lives. We're warned again about this, this dichotomy, these differences in Philippians chapter 3. As Paul writes to his people in the church, I have often told you before and I tell you again with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You get to choose where you will point your mirror, what you will reflect, what you will worship. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that because knowing that, what you reflect is the image you take on. It will help in that decision making. I want to bring to light the conflict that happens in us all the time. And we are mirrors. If we're mirrors, we will look like, show me a mirror that doesn't look exactly like what it's pointed at. Now, lots of words in concept. How about an example from real life? Okay, and, and it's a compare and contrast. It's like one versus the other. And uh, this is just one example. It applies to everything. So, real, real life example. Uh, I'm a married man. See, got a ring. She, uh, she put it on my finger. Almost didn't get it on at the ceremony. She got like right up to the knuckle, but it was a nice May day, so things were swollen, and she's like, and the pastor stands up there and he goes, you know, if you don't get that ring on, it's not official. And that woman went, oh. <laughs> I had to heal from that for like a week. 
If I spend my time identifying if the truth I choose to reflect is that I am a good husband and I prioritize Laura over everything, those things sound good, right? Then I put her higher than my relationship with Christ. And I kill my marriage. Because I'm worshiping her and I'm worshiping husbandhood instead of the Lord. Where my mirror points matters. If I'm pointing it at earthly relationships, I will fail. Those, that, those things will die because there's only life in one direction. If I keep my reflecting, if I keep my worship pointed at Christ alone, guess whose marriage is doing well? And this applies to everything. This is, this is everything. It's a concept, and, and it works no matter what your example is. It works with work, uh, what your job is. Uh, it works uh, when it comes to, you know, what, what, do you, what do you need in your life that helps you feel secure and safe? Uh, it works with the things that your hobbies, what are your recreations? You know, things that, 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 that care for you. You relax a little bit. Not bad things. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not supposed to be married. I'm called to be married. But I can do it the right way or not. Whether it's the, the emotions that we have, whether it's our attempts to be in control, our success, our prosperity, our parenting, uh, even church. Even church. Church is a good thing. Lives are changed here. Truth is spoken here. And yet it is possible to worship church instead of Jesus. Sometimes where this mirror is pointed is, is almost there. It's just slightly askew. See, as, as image bearers, as, as reflectors, as constant worshipers, there, there is power in what we choose, what we reflect, because whatever it is, that will change our life. It will define our reality, our perception of reality. We are impacted by what it is we reflect, because what it is reflect is what is true for us. And if we choose to worship or reflect things that are dead or dying or finite or small, human creations, human endeavors, human attempts to be crafters of the world, we become what we worship. The Bible says there are two options, just two options. You point these mirrors at Christ in his way. You worship God acceptably with reverence and awe as he reveals himself to be. As citizens of heaven who live under Christ's control, obediently being transformed into new creations, that's option number one. Or option number two, we point these mirrors in any other direction. Or as the, Bible's, as the Bible says, we... We walk as enemies of the Lord. Maybe reflecting cockeyed versions of God or temporary things and choosing our own preferred paths with minds set on earthly things whose God is our stomach and who are proud of shameful stuff. One path leads to destruction. 
The other path is eternal life. Like it says in John 17, uh, now this is eternal life that we know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The power of worship. We end up becoming what we reflect. So where's your mirror pointed? Let's pray. Holy God, um, almighty, everlasting, the only truth, um, we adore you. We yearn to be with you. We, we want always, evermore in our lives that, that we are made more and more into image bearers of you and your truth and of Jesus Christ our Lord because that is what we want true of us, not not to give in to the temptations, the old ways, the, the, the idols that have been a part of our lives. This fallen world keeps wanting to pull us back, pull us back into things that used to be true, but you have set us free. Set us free again today. Give us the courage. Show us how we miss the mark. Convict us again of what we reflect and renew us in becoming and being and choosing to worship you and Jesus Christ alone. Holy Spirit, we can't do this on our own. Be the power in us, moving us into a deeper relationship with our Father. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.